Hey, welcome back to Well, That's Interesting. The life is just going to scooch its way into anywhere it can edition. <laughs> Today is episode 128. Cave isolated for 5 million years is teeming with life and the demon ducks of doom. I know. Aren't you excited? Just what a day it's going to be, my friends. <laughs> and by the way, if this is your first time listening, Welcome to the Flock Business Goose. I'm Jill Chacha, kicking it solo this week because I fucking want to. And I highly recommend buckling up because we are going to travel the world and travel back in time. Uh, We're going to crack open a cave unlike any other and some eggs unlike any other. And here's what I mean. In the first half of the show, a place with a total lack of sunlight and nearly a total lack of oxygen and what air is down there? is too toxic for most terrestrial animals. Oh, and it's been sealed for the past few million years, that's all. So yeah, of course, researchers pried that baby open and went inside. We're gonna talk about what and who they found, and if you're imagining the 2005 cult classic, The Descent, you're not too far off. Uh, Luckily, there are no mutant humans so far, but boy howdy, (laughs) brace yourself for what is in that cave system. Then after the break, the land down under never ceases to amaze. Now, the US state of Texas always brags about things being bigger there, but hold my Foster's beer, motherfucker. Massive, mysterious fossilized eggs have been found. Actually, they were found a few decades ago in Australia, but it wasn't until recently scientists figured out who had laid them. And spoiler, it was a very, very big bird. Just a very big bird, and we're going to get into it. So, shall we begin? All right, well, to do so, we need to dust off the old Wayback Machine and dial in 1986. That's right, we're in the roaring 1980s, baby. (laughs) Big hair, bright colors, and a time when nations raced to hoard nuclear material to somehow fend off and cause a nuclear holocaust. I'm talking about the Cold War. So... Join me, will you, a few miles west of the Black Sea in Romania. Now, for my fellow geographically challenged Americans, where, where is this, you may be asking? Don't worry, I've got you. Please, imagine Italy. Yeah, pretty easy, right? Point to it. Excellent. Now move your finger east. That's Croatia. Hi, hello. Now keep moving that finger in the same direction, and you'll pass over Bosnia and Herzegovina. Hello, hello. Move a little more east. Okay, that's Serbia. Okay, we're going to go just a smidge more until finally we've made it to Romania. Now, back in ye old 1986, it was called the Socialist Republic of Romania, and state workers were, you guessed it, looking for new ground to build a nuclear power plant along the coastline. Now, I can only imagine how unprepared this group of workers were when they hauled away rock, which revealed an entrance. The sight, the smell, the hellscape was clearly not a place for the average human. They needed people who wake up every day saying, oh God, I cannot wait to squeeze my ass into a crevice hundreds of feet below the surface and take a sample of what's growing down there. They needed a cave explorer. They needed a speleologist, which I think I said that right. They needed a photographer, Christian Lescue. They needed him and his goddamn team. My friends, Gather your helmet, your headlamp, your rope, your harness, your climbing gear, and protective boots, because we're going in this hole. And uh, 
Let's talk about the first thing that would hit you upon your descent into what's been named the Mobile Cave. Now, from the study, five million years in darkness, a new traglomorphic species of cryptops leech, ever heard of it? Quote, relative humidity in the cave is 100%, and there is no detectable air movement. End quote. Yeah. So, my friends, as you can tell by the title of this episode and that paper, the air hasn't circulated in this truly isolated cave system in about 5.5 million years as determined by some carbon dating. So needless to say, it's a little stale and a little hot down there, and we're just getting started. Our best friend, the wiki, has a delightful breakdown of what you'd be inhaling. Uh, Spoiler, you do not. You do not want to be raw-dogging the air down here, so I hope you also included some respiratory equipment in your spelunking bag. The level of oxygen in the cave is only a third to half of the concentration of where you are right now. Levels at the surface, right here, are about 21% oxygen. But in the cave, levels shrink to 7 to 10%, more likely single digits. And good news, along with the chance of passing out, you can get a little CO2 poisoning. There's about 100 times more carbon dioxide in the cave atmosphere here. Specifically, CO2 registers at a whopping 2 to 3.5% versus just a wee 004 in our air. And it just keeps coming, folks. There are a few other buddies in here that'll kill you real good if you stay longer than three hours, despite all your equipment. And put a pin in that. Quote from the wiki, the caves, sorry, from the wiki quote, I did that backwards. (laughs) The cave's atmosphere also contains one to two percent methane. Both the air and the waters of the cave contain high concentrations of hydrogen sulfide and ammonia. The water in its lakes only contain some dissolved oxygen, the first centimeter at most, and some places only the first millimeter. Deeper down, the lake water becomes completely anoxic. End quote. Yeah, anoxic sounds horrible, and it is. I gave it a Google. I looked it up because I had to, and holy shit, it's basically water with no oxygen at all. So this is not our life-giving friend H2O. This is something completely horrible and different. Here you'll be swimming. I mean, if you are going to swim in it, hopefully you're donned in the appropriate wetsuit because these are extremely alkaline pools of hydrogen sulfide and ammonia. Now, we've spoken many a time on this show about what happens to flesh in highly alkaline pools, and it ain't good. It's not good at all. So I know what you're wondering. I know what you're thinking at this point. This place, it's just so alien. Who, who could live down here? Not one beam of light has hit a surface in millions of years. The air and the water is toxic. Well, my friends, the air and water is toxic to us, but not for what's crawling around down there. Hold on to all of your cheeks, all of the cheeks. Uh, this cave is a metropolis, and here is just one example of its residents. Uh, Britannica has a short video of Kristen and the gang scaling down the cave walls to get a sample of goo those walls are smeared in. Yeah, I'm so sorry. There, There's gooey walls here. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> now, this fucking video is just so British and well-written, I had to share it. So please, 
watch along with me if you so fancy. Uh, please watch along, especially if you're driving. Just search Britannica and Mobile Cave in Romania. And uh, how about you and me? We find out what this goo is. How does that, what is, how's that sound? All right. I'm going to play it right the fuck now. Romania. Christian Lascu and his team of speediologists are meeting for a last briefing before setting off to explore the mobile cave. Inside, an ecosystem cut off from the rest of the world for millions of years. The cave, discovered during excavations, is a veritable time capsule. This small cave is in fact the upper part of the deep iceberg of Mauvile Cast where hot and sulfiding waters come along big crates like this one. The scientists go deep underground to explore the mobile cave. It's not easy to get to. The team have to pass through narrow tube-like tunnels. Oxygen levels are low and there is a high concentration of methane gases and sulfur. The scientists can spend a maximum of three hours in this hostile environment without doing themselves lasting damage. After about 200 meters, the team comes across a sulfurous lake. From now on, they can only advance in diving gear. Yet in this poisonous broth, the researchers discover bizarre creatures, life in a place hostile to life. Over millions of years, the creatures in this subterranean world have adapted to the conditions Many of them are blind, their skin is translucent. In this dark place, evolution has done away with all superfluities. Coming down here is like traveling back eons in the history of the Earth. Sharp, jutting out rocks hamper the researchers in their task. It's not easy to capture the secrets of this astonishing grotto. To the rear of the cave, large slimy patches have formed on the surface of the water. Is this food for the weird and wonderful cave dwellers, or a toxic sludge? The researchers take samples in order to find out more. Back at the laboratory, the team delve into the secrets of the sludge. It is a noxious mixture of hydrogen sulfide and methane. Yet the scientist's analysis reveals an incredible wealth of species. The sludge is full of life. The mobile cave is a biological sensation. In this hellhole under the earth, the team has discovered a thoroughly unique and thriving biotope. Nonetheless, this place is still hostile to human life. The team soon has to return to the fresh air. What a soundtrack. What a script. <laughs> I love that they used the word hellhole. It's so apt. So, yes, my friends, that sludge was filled with microscopic worm-like creatures. Uh, I'll have some screenshots of it for you if you didn't catch the video itself. So come on by our social media stuffs and uh, check out the goo. And as the video alluded, there is a lot more down here in this hellhole, which took a lot of time to collect and identify. Quote, one of the first attempts to document this bizarre ecosystem can be found in a paper written in 1996 
by a trio of biologists from the University of Cincinnati and published in the journal Science. Three scientists identified 48 species, 33 of which were totally unique to this one cave, i.e. not found anywhere else on Earth. Along with species of spider, pseudoscorpions, wood lice, and centipede, fun, later studies have also found uh, leeches, snails, and many other species inhabit the caverns, end quote from Tom Hale of IFL Science. Now, I'm happy to report those numbers have just skyrocketed. It is now 51 invertebrate species have been found, of which 34 are endemic to this one cave. All of this diverse life, get this, just to put it into context, that 34 species just alone, uh, just specifically live here only, makes Mobile Cave rank as one of the most species-rich caves in the world. Yeah. And it was sealed for 5.5 million years. Uh, I've got some photos uh, as well of these happy creatures on our social media stuffs. So please come on by and take a look at large, naked, blind things. Uh, you know, still not as scary as the future of democracy. But anyway, uh, you're probably wondering how. How in the holy fuck does something as large as a centipede live and eat here? Well, my friends, this place is kind of like the upside down from our oxygen-rich, plant-based world perspective, I should say. Here's what I mean. Continuing from Tom Hale, quote, Mobile Cave was the first land-based ecosystem to be, dis to, <laughs> to be discovered that relies on chemosynthetic bacteria. All right, let's take a moment, say it with me now, chemosynthetic bacteria. Excellent job, wonderful. Now, most ecosystems require photosynthesis to harness energy from sunlight, however, since there's no natural light in the cave, the bacteria need to get their energy and carbon directly from chemical reactions, such as the oxidation of sulfide or the oxidation of ammonium. In this sense, the mobile cave is more comparable to the freaky ecosystems we find living in extreme deep sea environments near hydrothermal vents." End quote. My friends, in motherfucking sum, this terrestrial place, this cave, is living like the deep sea. It's fucking bonkers. <laughs> now, I was wondering, how in the fuck did this all start? How? So why? Why is this all here? Well, J. Colin Morell, a microbiologist, has an idea as to why. And he told the BBC, quote, It's very likely that the bacteria have been here a lot longer than five million years, but that the insects became trapped around that time. They could have simply fallen in and become trapped when the limestone caved in, sealing the cave until it was discovered again in 1986. End quote. That's right, folks. These creatures, they're great, 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 great motherfucking great. You get the idea. Their grandparents may have been buried alive, but they made it work. <laughs> this cave is a poppin'. Now, more excursions are happening as we speak, so more will be discovered, and my fingers are crossed that hopefully mutant humans are down there, but uh, we shall see. After the break, a mystery solved. <laughs> Who or what was laying eggs the size of melons in Southern Australia? Hold on to your cloaca, because we've got the answer. <laughs> Stay tuned. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, I've got some good news. We're sticking around the 1980s but I've got some bad news. <laughs> we're 
We have to imagine just how perilous it was to be human about 50,000 years ago in Australia. Yeah, I know. Just think about it. Just think about how big shit is today. And now just take a moment to picture shit back then. And by shit, I mean just creatures. In 1981, thousands of eggshell fragments dating back to the Pleistocene era had been found strewn across Australia with evidence that they had been cooked. That's right, we humans love a good omelet, and we've been making them for eons. Now, if the Pleistocene era sounds a little familiar, you're absolutely right. We've brought it up before, uh, just a moment ago in episode 115, when scientists ate 50,000-year-old bison. Uh, Check it out if you haven't. There's an actual recipe. Uh, The Pleistocene era itself was a large chunk of time between 2.6 million to 12,000 years ago. And put a pin in that. Now, some of these eggshells could be traced to ancient emus, if you can believe it, but some fragments, when puzzled together, didn't fit that criteria. When the weight of the shell and its contents were estimated, one egg weighed around 3.5 pounds, or 1.6 kilos, which is about the size of a melon. Now, needless to say, this would be a protein bonanza for any of the indigenous who arrived in Australia, at least 65,000 years ago. There was no Trader Joe's at this time, my friends. You had to carefully, and I mean carefully, swipe an egg from a creature, a creature that could lay something that size, something three and a half pounds. So they had to be massive in their own right. So who was it? Well, the year was 1981, and DNA technology was sparse, to say the least. The best researchers could do was cocaine, and guesstimate the <laughs> and guesstimate the, this colossal egg either came from one of the two equally colossal birds from this time period. From EurekaAlert.com, I'm oh, sorry, from EurekaAlert.org, quote, some suggested Guineornis newtoni, while others believe the shells to be from Progura birds. Progura were chicken-like birds with large feet and only weighing between 5 and 7 kilos or 11 to 15 pounds, end quote. Now, if an 11-pound chicken sounds big, that's a big chicken. That is a big chicken, but not big enough to pass a melon. If that's what you're thinking, well, a lot of other people are with you on that. (laughs) For you see, Geniornis newtoni. Guinea and the Ornis, Guinea Ornis, Newtoni. We're just going to call it G. Newtoni. Sounds like a pasta, but Newtoni was bigger. <laughs> a shit ton bigger. Quote, it stood over six and a half feet or two meters tall and tipped the scales at up to 530 pounds of beak, bones, and feather-clad muscle. I can imagine that having this mega duck looking down at you would be fairly unnerving. Lead study author Beatrice DiMarchi, an archaeologist studying bones and other organic materials at the University of Turin, told Live Science in an email. Yeah, my friends, you heard the lady, a megaduck. Guineornis Newtoni is sometimes referred to as, quote, the demon duck of doom <laughs> because of their size and evolutionary relation to today's waterfowl. And uh, if you need a visual, don't worry, I've got you. Uh, And it's going to be, it's just going to scare the bejesus out of you too. (laughs) So please head on over to our social media stuffs and tap on today's post. Swipe through and behold, one bone. Yeah, 
just one bone because that's really all it takes to understand the heft of the demon duck. All right, I'm going to give you a second to pull that up. Yeah, exactly. I know. Everything you just said, I just said. My friends, I can't. Now, what you see before you is the femur or the top bone in the leg uh, in humans. That's our thigh bone. This thing, this fucking thing is lying next to the femur of an emu. Okay, for size comparison, and there are no words. This bone, this femur, is a caveman-wielding instant death hammer. It's many, many times bigger and thicker and denser. So, back in 1981, unfortunately, no one could prove who was the mother to all of these eggs. Was it the chicken or the duck? Well, this was the case until, you guessed it, like five minutes ago. And here's how they did it. It's a wacky combination of smashing and 2023 AI. Quote, the researchers analyzed proteins from eggshells found in sand dunes at two different locations in southern Australia. Wallyro? Wallyro? Wallyroo! That's it. That's Australian right there. Wallyroo. (laughs) Wallyroo and Woodpoint. After pulverizing the proteins with bleach and collecting the various small protein parts... The researchers assembled them in the right order and explored their structure using artificial intelligence. The protein sequences provided them with a series of codes for genes that could be compared against the genes of over 350 living bird species. End quote. So, my friends, after the smashy smashy and the compare compare, drum roll please. Quote. It became quite clear that the eggs were not laid by a progera and therefore did not belong to the progera, explained Josephine Stiller to Eureka Alert. Josephine is an assistant professor at the University of Copenhagen's Department of Biology and one of the researchers behind this new study. His colleague, uh, Professor Matthew Collins, added, quote, they can only be of the guineornis. That's right. As such, we have laid to rest a very long and heated debate about the origin of these eggs, end quote. God damn it, my friends, what a world. It was a big fucking duck. (laughs) And you may be wondering what happened to that big fucking duck. Uh, Two things, perhaps. During the Pleistocene era, a series of ice ages caused the sea levels to rise and fall. Dramatic changes happened that could have affected the birds who could not evolve to the new climate. And uh, there was also people. James Ashworth of the British History Museum noted, G. Newtoni may have been unable to survive the rate at which its eggs were being taken. It is believed that the birds were gradually driven to increasingly isolated parts of Australia before becoming extinct around 47,000 years ago. So it was probably a one-two punch. But I, I have a feeling... I have a feeling a gigantic duck did not go down without a fight. I mean, ducks today are scary sons of bitches, and I cannot wrap my head around one over six feet tall. (laughs) Aren't you glad, kind of, that you live today? Kind of, yes and no, right? I mean, demon ducks. Just tell your friends, there could be demon ducks. So thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends, tell them about the cave and the gooey walls and that people actually go down there. Don't ask me why. It's just love. They do it out of love. And please, stay interesting. <laughs>